Welcome to Ex Libris On Air and the stories behind the stories of today's literature and their authors. A presentation of Ex Libris Publishing, host Steve Jorgensen connects with a writer to share the vision and inspiration behind their works. Insightful, informative, and always entertaining, please welcome host Steve Jorgensen and this week's edition of Ex Libris On Air. The title of the book, Pierre's Journey to Florida, Diary of a Young Huguenot in the 16th Century. And the author is Thomas N. Tozer, and Tom joins us now on Ex Libris On Air. Hello, Tom. Good morning, Steve. Well, you're going to take us back to the 16th century, a time when the French and the Spanish were battling over Florida and very important to them in that time of history. So why don't you, first of all, give us kind of a uh, little preview in general about your book, and then we'll find out about you and why you decided to do this. That's fine. I'd be happy to. First of all, let me tell you that um, the book is narrated by a Jean-Louis Ardouin, H-A-R-D-O-U-I-N, who was an immigrant to England from France in 1703, and he narrates the adventures of his great-great-uncle Pierre de Bray and his family based on diaries written by Pierre roughly 130 to 135 years before then. The diaries begin at the time when the persecution of the Huguenots, French Calvinists, becomes violent, and the Huguenots become political pawns in settling Nouvelle France, a region that the Spanish then claimed as La Florida. The French settlers and the Spanish have many encounters, and in some of them, the French are extensively massacred, indeed almost annihilated. Pierre and his little sister Dominique survive when the French colony Fort Caroline is attacked by the Spanish and the majority of those at the fort are killed. Pierre and his little sister are among the survivors and escape to the Indian village Alamakani, where his new good Indian friend Anoso lives. There he loses his little sister learns the beliefs and customs of the new community of Timucuan Indians, and becomes an extremely close friend of Anoso, and takes an active part in the daily activities of his newly adopted family. It takes some time, but Pierre eventually becomes a real member of the village of his friend Anoso, at least in his own mind. After living with the Timucua for nearly three additional years, a Frenchman by the name of Dominique de Gourges arrives to avenge the massacres of the French. After the massacre of the Spanish at Fort Caroline, now called Fort San Mateo, and at neighboring forts, Pierre returns to France with the Gorge, only to find that the war between the Huguenots and the Catholics has intensified. Pierre moves to Paris, where life continues to be difficult for him. It is there in Paris where Pierre, now only 17 years of age, meets his end. But the story of the Debray family is not over as Jean-Louis continues to tell what happens to his family during the tumultuous religious upheavals of the subsequent French wars of religion and the hard times thereafter until he moves his immediate family to London. So that's kind of a long, but... Uh, right, right. It gives us a real... Review of what it's all about. Exactly. So... Uh, why did you decide to write this? This is uh, obviously a fictional history, but at the same time, very different from your professional background. That, indeed, that is true. 
I've, you know, I've identified really four reasons. I've had many people ask me why I wrote the book, and I tried to identify why I did so. And I suppose um, I can put it down to four reasons. One was the fact that I grew up in a small town in San Diego County in California, a town by the name of Julian, which was surrounded by Indian reservations. And all during uh, grammar school and high school, I went to school with many Indians or part Indians. Many of them were only like one quarter or one eighth Indian, but a good percentage of the students were uh, of Indian blood. And that probably began my fascination with Native American uh, cultures. Second reason was by discovering that I have Huguenot ancestors on my mother's side of the family. There were apparently three brothers who left France soon after what's called the St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre. This was a major event in the French Wars of Religion, and this was in 1572. And not too long after that, they left France and moved to Canada. And then two of the brothers in the 1600s moved to uh, Virginia, and uh, that uh, was the beginning of my family in what we now call uh, the United States. The uh, third reason is that I've spent a good part of my life actually in France, and I, um, uh, well, let's not go into more detail there, but let me tell you that the final reason was my visit to St. Augustine in Florida, and I just became so captivated by what I learned of the history there, I said, I've got to put all these things together, and that kind of is what resulted then in writing the book. Now, this fictional character, Pierre Debris, he is uh, central to the story, but uh, there really was a French boy who lived with the Indians at that time. Is that you kind of take uh, some of that information and create this character? That is correct. Uh, Pierre Debray is actually the name of the individual that is recorded in history as living with the Indians for this period of time, roughly three years. And um, I tried very hard here, and I have contacts in France who tried in France, too, uh, to see if we could find out more about this individual. And research at both ends ended with really nothing more uh, to say. But what I did was decide that I would take this individual and build a fictional story uh, about his life. So everything about Pierre Debray is, is strictly fictional. But there was an individual, yes, by that name. Very violent times. Extremely. No question about it. And so your book is violent. That is correct. I would say from beginning to end. It's a history of a lot of very violent events. Uh, now, this St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre, uh, why is that so important? Well, it's, an, it's important in history because it was one of the uh, major events of what's called the French Wars of Religion. This is when the Protestants first got started in Europe, and they were now um, becoming politically very active. And by the time of Pierre, they um, were about 10% of the French population were Huguenot or French Calvinists. And at that time, then, the um, political divisions between the two became very, very intense. The Catholics were very afraid of the power that the Protestants were getting. 
And uh, this culminated in Paris in this event called the St. Bartholomew Day Massacre, where thousands and thousands of people were killed, not in one day, but over a period of a few days, starting in uh, August, I think it was the 24th of 1572. I think it amazes most of us is how much violence and even war occurs over a difference in a religious point of view. And in perspective, it's so silly because the difference in uh, point of view is is just that. It's it's not anything substantial. It's just the way in which they want to practice their faith. But their actual faith is exactly the same. And how people could get so excited about these minor differences is now hard to understand. But the uh, Protestants in France were just not welcome. That is correct. I mean, uh, because of the Catholic domination of France, and even to today, I think the Catholic Church is predominantly the religion of France. Uh, the answer to that is yes and no, um, because um, although probably most people would say that they are Catholic, there aren't that many strongly practicing Catholics in France at now, at least as I understand it. I think another fascination with history at this time is this whole uh, very challenging, very, very challenging exploration of the New World. I mean, it was such a, a talk about a, a frontier that folks in, of course, these explorers from Europe coming to the New World, that, that was an amazing time. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it um, was so, in one sense, romantic and adventurous, and and as you say, at the other extreme, extremely violent. And um, fascinating, though, absolutely fascinating. And the thing to me that was, I thought, quite interesting is that mankind had kind of spread around the world, starting basically in Africa or Asia Minor, well, let's say Africa to begin with, into Asia Minor, some went into Europe, some across Asia and then across the Pacific and the Indians, we believe, came across the Bering Sea and down through the Americas. And finally, uh, here they were meeting just across this little Atlantic Ocean uh, once again after many, many, many generations. And just this whole thought to me was very interesting. In fact, I kind of explored that in my mind some more. It's not in the book, but thinking about the fact that it was about a thousand generations before when the Indians first came across the Bering Sea to the Americas. A thousand generations. So, you know, great, 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 a thousand times was the one who came across the Bering Sea. And then you could go back uh, about 10,000 generations, maybe 20, to where uh, all the European uh, ancestors of the Europeans and the ancestors of the Indians all came from. And it's a very interesting thought. And one of your themes, uh, to further explain what you're saying, is how humankind is one big family. That's correct. When you think about it, you, we all have the common, same common roots. And we're all cousins. <laughs> all cousins. No question. Yes. Now, the demise of, of these Indian people, uh, give me their name again. Temuqua. Temuqua. Now, uh, why is that uh, an important part of your book? 
Well, it's a very sad part of the book. It's one of the few Indian tribes in North America that basically was annihilated. Um, there were, the Spanish said, about 200,000, although I'm sure the records weren't very accurate. But they thought there were around 200,000 Timucua in northern Florida, southern uh, Georgia at the time they first arrived. And uh, primarily through disease, not war, but through disease, they died off until in the mid-1700s, about 1767, I think is the last date, that uh, full-blooded Timucuan was still known to be alive. Then, so basically they vanished. Why is it so important that we learn our history, we study history, we understand history? Well, I think one of the major reasons is you want some of the history not to be repeated, even though it is. It seems to be. Uh, I guess that's why we, I guess that points out that we don't know our history and why we keep repeating it. And also, of course, we need to know our roots, don't we? That's correct. And that's fascinating when you get back to the roots, where you come from and why. One of the reasons why you wrote this book. That's correct. Tom, well, we appreciate you being with us on Ex Libris on air, uh, tell us how to get your book, Pierre's Journey to Florida, Diary of a Young Huguenot in 16th Century. Tell us how to get your book. Well, there are several ways of doing it. Uh, what I'd recommend to you is to go to um, one of the following. Uh, first of all, to exlibris.com. And if you go into the bookstore, you will find it there. Uh, when you go to the bookstore, though, you make sure that you put in my full name, Thomas N. Tozer, or just the last name Tozer, and you will get to it. If you try to write in just Thomas N. Tozer, uh, a Thomas, or uh, Thomas N. Tozer even, without quotation marks, uh, it won't go through. Or you can type in the full name, but if you type in the full name, again, put it in quotation marks, because uh, otherwise you'll come up with a whole lot of other books. Another possibility is to go to Barnes & Noble. Uh, they will order the book for you and send it to your home. Another possibility is Amazon.com. Uh, those are the ones that I know of, and there may be some others. I had uh, someone tell me recently that they went to LaGuardia Airport, and then the bookstore there was among the best sellers, so I was very excited oh, about that. Fantastic. Congratulations. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Tom, for being with us on Ex Libris On Air. Thank you very much. Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Have you ever wondered why America is facing such a health care crisis? Then join us for Dr. Peter DeVette Live every weekday at 1 p.m. Central on toginet.com. He'll answer your health care and medical questions and share with you his knowledge and opinions on topics ranging from holistic health care to spirituality and wellness. You'll find out about the roots of your health care challenges versus symptom management, the holistic approach, how the spirit, mind, and body connection is critical in both the development of illness and the solution to illness, how emotions are directly related to physical illness and how to read your body like a book. Dr. Devan will also go through your personal questions and how you can navigate through the illness maze. 
supplements, medications, therapies, treatment options, surgeries, all kinds of things related to your health. Dr. Peter DeVent Live, every weekday at 1 p.m. Central on toginet.com. We often ask, is that all there is? Why is this happening to me? Why am I always broke? How am I going to survive this mess? Then join Dr. Geraldine Tegeloff for Nature Spirits Speak, 7 p.m. Tuesday evenings on toginet.com. Geraldine is a metaphysician, nature intuitive, and prosperity coach who shares with you how she went from totally broke to living what she would call her perfectly prosperous life. Through the combination of a wealth of metaphysical knowledge and her amazing ability as an intuitive, Geraldine brings to you the secrets of her magical journey of healing emotionally, spiritually, and financially. As with the ancient seers and master teachers, Geraldine has a unique gift of being able to connect to the simple yet profound messages brought to us by Mother Nature and happily shares these through today's note to self on her webpage, naturespiritspeak.com. If you need help with your journey, why not connect with Geraldine during her show, Nature Spirit Speak, Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Ex Libris with your host, Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, A Cancer Memoir, The Patsy Bates Survival Story, and the author is Patsy Bates, and Patsy joins us now on Ex Libris On Air. Hello, Patsy. Hi. Good to have you with us, and congratulations on being a survivor obviously uh, that's more than just a congratulations uh, there isn't words i guess to really describe that are there no there's no words i could uh, i could even speak of uh in of being a survivor it, uh it's i'm just grateful that that uh, i had a chance to uh, uh still be here you say that in deciding to write this book, you knew you would have to reveal a personal side of yourself and tell parts of your life that you've never told anyone before, but you knew you needed to be open and honest and uh, really allow others to read about the battles that you navigated through during your life thus far. And of course, breast cancer was the greatest challenge of your life. Let's go back, Patsy. When did you first uh, know that you had it? Uh, you know, what, what what was that day like? I was on my way to work, and I I got I was had the key in the door, and my phone rings, and it's ringing. So I'm 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 rushing to get the key to unlock the door. So I I, I unlock the door. So I run to the phone, and it's uh, my doctor on the phone. And she says, Patsy, it's cancer. We got to get it out. Wow. So at that particular time, I I was numb. You know, I, I was numb because at the time uh, I was diagnosed, I had a brother and a sister-in-law that was battling cancer. Unfortunately, they they died. But this was a time for me that, I just, I, I didn't know what I was going to do. So at that moment, a lot of fear. Yes, yes, yes. Fear like you, you wouldn't know. Uh, it was just fear because uh, I own the salon, so I've, I, I've had many clients, and I've had some clients that, that, that passed from, from cancer. So uh, 
I know, and then my mother and father died from cancer, so I know what cancer uh, can mean for some people. You, you, you say you decided to be blatantly honest about the pain you experienced during your battle with breast cancer. Well, I, I, I think we have to begin to share our, 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 our struggle before you can move forward because you have to allow people to know that it is you're going to have to take it. You know, you're going to have to deal with what you're going through because in order to get on the other side, you would have to uh, go through this, to go through the process because even if you surpass the cancer, it's still you're still going to have to go through a process. Either you're going to sit in a room and just waste away are you going to just say, you know, you're going to fight it some kind of way? You're going to say, well, you know what? I'm going to, every day, I'm going to do something to take take cancer out of my life. That's what I did. And every day I fought a little bit. You know, if it's just getting up, going to the kitchen and coming back. You know, every day I got a little piece and a little piece. And then finally... I was able to go back and do just a few clients. Uh, I was sick, but it was better than just sitting in that dark room waiting to die. Because that's something that I just, I just, for me, I just, just didn't want to do. We always hear about survivors, but we really don't know how they got there, and that's one of the purposes of your book. Yes. Yes, I I I wrote this book because in life, a, a lot of your journeys in life, it helps you to uh, when you get to this point where something comes into your life that like cancer, you have to take some of the positive things that you've learned in life. So it, for me, I had to reach back and look at different parts of my life that help pull the strength to, to go forward. And, of course, you there may be fear, but you learned and relied on the Lord to give you the strength to move beyond the fear. Oh, yes, of course. That was the main, that was my main strength because I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to deal with it. I had a lot of fear. I, I had fear spoken on over me also because most people when they hear the word cancer their you know fear just sets in I would go and I would go to Bible study and I would go to church and and the amazing thing is the uh, the bishop at that time he would speak and you know not touching me uh, uh, closely but touching me with God's word gave me strength each day because if I was going to die, I needed the strength of God. If I was going to live, I still needed the strength of God. So God was very important. Either way it went, I had to have the strength of God because I would need it to leave or I would need it to stay.
One of the themes in your book talks about the economical struggle that people endure when they're sick. Oh, my God. It was, for me, I was self-employed. I was an entrepreneur. Most of my clients left. I, I only had a handful of people. But I've seen, again, the hand of God move with a little bit of nothing. I, I didn't have much, and I was fighting cancer. I was, it, economically, it was just horrible. But I've seen the hand of God move in, in that aspect for me. To, I had angels would come, and, and I call them angels. They were angels for me. The man that uh, owned the script mall that my, my, my salon was in, I was unable to pay this man because I was sick. I used my faith, and I called him up, and I said, listen, I have cancer. I said, I'm unable to pay you now. I said, but if you give me a chance, I will pay you. I didn't lose my salon. He gave me a chance. I paid him. That was the that was God. That was the faith that I had trusted and believed that God would move. I had to do it. I had to use every strength of faith and trust all the words that that I heard over the pulpit that God will take care. God took care of me. I'm sure it was very challenging for you to relive these tough times that you experienced in writing your book. Yes, at times there were tears. Uh, I, would, I would cry because I, I never forget. Uh, I lived in an apartment, my, uh, and he was only doing his job, but he would tell me, I'm going to put you out. I'm going to have to put you out if you don't get your rent. And I could not pay my rent on time because I was sick and I didn't have the business that I, that, that I once had. So I would always be late and I would always get these, to get these notices. So you, you know, you can understand that that's, that's, that, that was something else for me. So your journal that you kept during uh, this whole process, this whole incredible challenging part of your life really was the basis for your book. Yes, I had the, the Kansas, I went to the Kansas Society and they gave me some leads and I could, I can never forget how people reached out to me because I didn't, I didn't know the depth of going through this disease. I've seen it from afar. I've seen it from my mom. And, but when you're in it, it it's, 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 it's very difficult. But there were people reached out to me. When I called, they reached out to me to help me. I had an advocate that she talked to me a couple times a week. She gave me information that would help me. And you know, for me, I I had to I had to do the same, and mine is in, is in this book. It's to reach somebody. I I did a book signing uh, on Sunday, and there was a lady, and she said I waited all day. It was at a festival. To talk to her, I knew I reached somebody. 
Then there was others came and said, I lost my mom to cancer and they wanted to talk and it, it reaches people that, 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 that have someone that had cancer and then it reaches some people that are going through cancer. So it's, it's, it's doing what I want. I, I want to reach somebody. I volunteer. I'm a I'm a survivor, so I volunteer to to other survivors, and I I, I just feel that it's my God given gift to go back and reach someone and to help them if I can to go through cancer. All we can say to that is Amen, Amen, Patsy. Uh, we've been listening to Patsy Bates. She is a cancer survivor and an author of her book, A Cancer Memoir, The Patsy Bates Survival Story. Patsy, tell us how to get your book. Well, it's um, exlibri, com, And I'm sure you can order it at any of the online retail stores like Amazon.com and Barnes & Noble. Yes. Yes, yes, it's on. It's 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 it's, it's there, and it's an ebook also. Well, great. You can get it ebook. Right. Yeah, right. That's uh, really very uh, helpful today, and and a lot of people have those kinds of uh, technical uh, reading books. So fantastic, Patsy! Thank you so much for being with us on Ex Libris on Air. Thank you so much. Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Okay, we will. We're going to teach you how to tell your money where to go. It's Intelligent Investing with Pam Otten on Toginet. Learn how to be a savvy investor from someone who has your best interest at heart. Pam Otten is a financial advisor who loves to help successful business owners and entrepreneurs understand the mysteries of the investment world. And she's not afraid to share that knowledge. Pam is an unashamed Christian and qualified kingdom advisor, which means she's trained and committed to integrating biblical principles into her financial advice. Pam believes investing isn't rocket science. This is the financial advisor who's in your corner and truly understands and cares about you and helping you achieve your goals. Securities and advisory services are offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, SIPC. It's Intelligent Investing with Pam Otten on Toginet. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for you to be a rock star. Get ready to rock with Rock Talk and Craig Deswalt. And learn how to achieve rock star status in your industry every Tuesday afternoon at 2, 1 Central on Toginet.com. Craig Deswald is the creator of the Rockstar System for Success. Craig will share easy tips and strategies on how entrepreneurs and businesses can use outside-the-box marketing strategies to stand out from their competition. Each high-energy show will feature interviews with celebrity rock stars as well as business rock stars. For more on Craig, the show, and the Rockstar Marketing Boot Camps, check out the website, CraigDoswalt.com, so you can learn how to be perceived as an expert and celebrity in your field, so more people come to you to buy your services and products. Then, get ready to be a rock star with Rock Talk and Craig Doswalt, Tuesday afternoons at 2, 1 Central on Druggynet.com.
Welcome back to Ex Libris with your host, Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Dunsey. And the author is Dave Hamilton, and Dave joins us now on Ex Libris On Air. Hello, Dave. Good evening to you, Steve. Great to have you with us all the way from St. Lucia in the West Indies, a uh, small island there, and we're grateful you're with us. It's nice to be here, and um, it's nice to be here and um, speaking to you from St. Lucia. Your book, Dunsey, and we'll find out about the title in, a, in a, a bit, but here's what is in general, the book is about West Indian Saga, which contains behavioral events and the ignorance of family members from past generations to each other, a legacy which needs to be seriously stopped. It's a historical fiction with some very, very complex emotional issues. Uh, well, Dave, tell us about yourself and why you decided to write this book. Uh, well, Steve, uh, I am uh, born in the Caribbean many years ago, back in the late 50s. Um, I went to England and uh, joined my family, which I got to know my family at uh, a very late, uh, late date in my life. And uh, due to that, I saw the behavior and the behavior with my family and other families that talked about how they've been treated. Um, but I managed to survive and grow up and, uh, you know, all through my time with the family, I was one of these persons who was very difficult to learn uh, basics in school and uh, why is uh, leaving school and um, trying to find work and all that. I came out without no, uh, say, qualifications of such, but uh, was determined to get on in my life. Um, although there were obstacles and certain things that was going on, I just felt that uh, I had to fight this because I remember uh, growing up what my uh, grandfather used to speak about as well. So I tried to, to remember those things and if I could follow through. Um, I uh, decided to write a book, and when I tried to explain this to some members of families and friends, they sort of uh, looked down at me or laughed at me, and, you know, they made their funny comments. So I knew that I always pictured the situation of growing up and other people telling me their story, um, who's from the Caribbean, how they've been treated, and uh, the difference in the siblings that been born in in the countries like uh, United Kingdom, uh, Canada, um, America. They've been treated different. Uh, it's just a, a mentality that uh, the parents in those generations grew up with, that people who was born in these countries um, are better, I suppose. It's just a mentality with them that they're better than those who's born back in the Caribbean. So I sort of looked into that and I wanted to form a story around all this. Um, it took me time because I tried to do this book many, many years ago, but um, due to sort of uh, your qualifications and all that, you thought that it might not be possible. 
but uh, God knows everything is possible if you spiritually believe in yourself and spiritually think about the way life is going. So that was one of the ways I've dealt with this. Um, then it came to the computer, and many, as I said, I tried to do it many years back, but couldn't find the, the, the way of structuring this book until the computer came in and other things. So it was like I was meant to do this, but it was uh, the right time had to come. So with, with the computer and my dear wife and uh, a very good friend named Jerry, I decided to write and they began to edit my book. And this is how I managed to get on to doing that. Uh, I left school and I, I, I drove a truck and did other things to survive, yes. But uh, my main aim was one day I will write a book. Well, congratulations, Dave. Now tell us about the titled Duncey. What's the significance of the title? Well, Steve, as I said, um, when I leave school and it's, uh, it's the word dunce, Duncey is it's a, a slang. It's a name that the Caribbean use when you cannot read and write. And, you know, uh, normally people, kids make jokes at you and say, hey, boy, you're a dunce. You know, you're, you're, you mean you can't pass that? Or, you're, you know, those, those sort of language sort of thing. Um, but the real word is dunce. In, I mean, they change it now, but the real word is dunce. But, it, you know, every Caribbean or many people have slangs that they throw at you. So I thought I'll use this word dunce for the title to throw people a bit, give a bit of excitement with the book, and they'll want to know what the meaning is. So with that, that's how I use the word dunce. As I said, you, you, you turn um, a negative situation into a positive situation. Tell us about Diddy, the main character. Well, Diddy, the main character in the book, is the unwanted child by the mother. Um, Let's, let's put it this way. Um, in, uh, in the late uh, 50s, they didn't, they didn't have sort of uh, blue movies or whatever to sort of arise, uh, arose um, sort of couples. But uh, in the Caribbean, you know, the atmosphere with rain, thunder, lightning, and the dark evenings as it started to get dust, those sort of events brings on a sort of romantic evening and uh, these two people got together and uh, the we in, in the Caribbean um, they sort of have different sort of classes sort of things you you know you have the really um, sort of middle class or upper class uh, family who um, would think um, they're given the, those who are yard boys who, who, who works in the garden and, and do all sorts of other things. But uh, the middle class family, this seems to sort of look down on them. So these two people got together. It was this uh, young man who was not in the same sort of class as the, the lady, young lady. And that moment, that special moment took them together and they creative child called Diddy. So um, because of that, obviously the, um, the, the mother did not want this. So she did everything she could 
to sort of get rid of this child. But um, unfortunately, well, fortunately for the child, he grew, and unfortunately, this didn't happen for her. You see, so uh, it caused a lot of pain for her because now, in them days as well, uh, once you put yourself in that sort of situation, the, fa the, the family, the father especially, is then on the child. She must be wed to this man, no matter what, because she's made a bed, so she has to lie in it. And this is where Didi is now become um, uh, problems in this family, because it's what she didn't want, she got. The father who moved away from, got married and moved away to, to London, and the grandparents brought up the child after the mother left the child, um, for some months and went to England, so he didn't know his parents and, uh, for a few years later. So when he got to know his parents and he found out that was uh, his mother, this is where the abuse started, Didi. So because, again, he was in a position where he couldn't read and write properly at a certain age where the younger sister was more advanced than, than him. So that made her very coarse. And the father, who was in the position where he was not able to read and write, so she didn't want the same sort of um, situation happening. Uh, that the young boy, Diddy, to, be, to grow up in that sort of manner. So that caused her the frustration to get him to learn to read and write. So and not to be a dunce, as the book says. Did he, though, did he found solace and comfort in a person, uh, Mrs. Gates, a white retired social worker. So uh, two different folks from two different backgrounds, two different races, uh, different in their economic status in the community. Uh, tell us about Mrs. Gates and why she did this. Uh, well... Steve, in every part of life, I don't know if you ever come across this, we always find an angel. When, um, I'm a spiritual person, and I believe that um, somebody or something will save you from the negativities that surround you. So Mrs. Gate um, was an English white woman, retired from her duties, um, but when she did, he was because of these abuse and trying to, to um, run away, police got involved and everything. So the way that Mrs. Gates got into this is because she read about him in the papers. She had a, she had a, a, a friend um, who worked as a school mistress in the school that Diddy was going to. The friend called up to Mrs., uh, Mrs. Gates and explained to her what this uh, young boy is going through. And let's remember, he was the only black child in the, the whole school sort of thing. So this sort of thing was a highlight to her. She was she wanted to find out more and get to know the culture and the, the person. So she then introduced herself to the, the family. And when she introduced herself to the family, she tried to make the best in peace-wise by saying that the, the mother was in a situation where she was very um, frustrated because she had she had five other children also, so it was very frustrating for her. So uh, Mrs. Gates sort of got into the middle of that and was trying to 
reassure her that everything is going to be okay. Um, and by doing that, she was a, a, an angel to, um, to Didi especially, but um, took, uh, well, she looked after the family in, in such a way that we, you couldn't believe it. You know, nobody could believe that a stranger from a different culture would ever open up herself in a sense of being there for you and giving you the help that you're needed and the help you wanted, if you wanted it. And uh, that's how she came into this picture. You have some interesting messages in your novel, this historical fiction. Uh, one, is, one is believe in yourself, uh, a key one for hard, very hard for some people. Everything is only for a time and a season. So uh, things can change. That's right. That's right. Uh, you know, I want nation to know that even though things uh, look a bit dull, tough, hard, and it's, I mean, we can turn to the Bible for all this sort of information as well. You have to go through and keep going through. And when you think there is no no stoppage or no, it's it's the way of life. It's the way you have to go through to get where you're going. And this is the reason why I, I brought that, uh, put, put that in the book, you know, time, things do um, happens for time. It, it, you, you go through a hard time and you get to the, end, the other end and you thank God. And I think when we do things like that, we have a hard time to start off and a rough time to start off. When we get to the other end, we appreciate that because we know how hard it was and we appreciate those who surround us. But there are others out there who uh, deliberately try to use you to get where they are. And when they get to where they are, sometimes they just ignore you and they feel that they've done it on their own. So everything is only for time. And those people who do those sort of things, you know, there's always a, a knockback somewhere along the line. So always remember good. Um, good. If there's evil around you, try to sort of um, bear up with it because it's only there for a time. And sometimes those closest to you will try to destroy you. That's right. As, as funny enough, I tell you, um, I was um, just scanning through the Bible um, um, because uh, I know people, we all have family problems with, you know, with one another sort of thing, and I was scanning through the Bible some time ago, and I, it's Jeremiah um, 12, Verses 6, about your family against you, it will tell you strictly in that, those verses um, that these are expected from your own, your own sources, you know. People who are close to you, you think they are for you, but, you know, you never know. You, it's just, it just opens up. And again, we go back to everything is only for time. So if it's their time to do that to you, then, you know, their time... Is coming for something else, you know. You, 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 evil would always be around certain people because this is the way life is. Not everybody is for you. We've been listening to Dave Hamilton. He is the author of his book Duncey. Dave, tell us how to get your book. Um, my book is published by Ex Libris in the United States. Um, it's uh, you can get it on Amazon. Uh, on my website site, Hamilton um, Dave, 
at dot com. Um, yeah, so those are the ways. I am here in St. Lucia trying to get Sunshine Bookshop to um, store my books. So if anyone around St. Lucia or in the Caribbean, and I'm trying to, you know, try to keep, see if I can get the books all over the Caribbean because it's a very a nice story for the Caribbean to, to look into. Um, as I say, the legacy of this book is trying to stop this, this legacy going, up, going on, get, going from generation to generation. So, you know, folks, you know, let's try and do something here. You know, read this book, see what memories of something that you cannot destroy. It's always there unless illness takes you in a certain way. But memories are always there. Forgiveness is a great thing because these things that uh, happens around us, it's, it's, it's like a mental disease that they can't be helped. You know, so we got to sort of forgive um, forgive those. But the book, um, as I said, is Exlibras and uh, Amazon. You can get it on there. Thank you, Dave, for being with us on Exlibras On Air. Thank you, sir. God bless. Join Steve Jorgensen next week at the same time as he explores the passion and the inspiration behind the works of today's authors. Right here on Ex Libris On Air.